everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around drinking quarantinis and talking about their writing, publishing, the whole creative process. We will not censor ourselves. Please consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are John Schmidt, Dear Drishween, and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 76, Writing for Community Theater. Welcome, Damien Tresler, to the coffee shop, everybody. Thank you very much. Hello. <laughs> Welcome, scriptwriter. <laughs> I, I have to make this, of your magic. This is <laughs> fun for me because Damien and I, I don't even know who followed who first on Twitter, but I found him tremendously witty and funny and poignant, and apparently he didn't find me incredibly annoying. <laughs> so, but then I went out and looked like, you do community theater. We should talk more about theater. <laughs> that strange thing when you know people from twitter and then you you see them over the video and we're like well, you look different to your avatar is that allowed are you allowed to go out without a, you have a hockey helmet in yours do you is that I right do. And, and you say that you are a builder of terrible helmets on yours <laughs> and yet yeah that's, that's just a hobby <laughs> yeah. what do you, well hockey isn't really a hobby it's more of a lifestyle but <laughs> <laughs> life choice <laughs> So I was, I was reading from your bio, and I loved it because it was simple, straightforward. I'm going to read it for you all. I've written and published something like 10 ebooks, over 80 plays, several short stories, and some nonfiction articles. I've written a couple of screenplays that have gone nowhere, and I'm still not rich or famous. That's beautiful, man. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I would say 80 plays is impressive, even if you're not rich and famous. That's yes. all on same <laughs> topics. All over the world? Uh, theoretically, no. Um, the, the idea is always like, I'm going to, this next one is going to be my Waiting for Godot. And then I think, I've never seen Waiting for Godot. Maybe I should go see that first and then. No. No. <laughs> Do not see Waiting for yeah. Godot. Okay. But I, I always, I want to write something serious and, and mind-blowing. And, and, and I always end up writing comedies. So it doesn't matter what they, you know, some are murder mysteries, some are. We should talk about right, 20 pages mm-hmm. written of a screenplay for horror that could use some humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, I was fascinated when I, when I read Carrie Fisher's life story once that, that she turned into a script doctor. And, and there's, there's so little about that as a profession. You know, it sounds like something that you do by accident. And maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe people look down on it as kind of like, well, I'd rather have my own stuff done. But I kind of love the idea of being handed someone else's script and saying, you know, punch this up, make this fun, because there's kind of less pressure. <laughs> I, I don't know about less pressure, but certainly uh, your, your voice reminds me of my all-time favorite script doctor, who isn't a script doctor. He's an amateur playwriter. Stephen Briggs, who adapted all of Terry Pratchett's works. Indeed, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he didn't write those stories. He just wrote the scripts, and they are hilarious. Absolutely, yeah. No, and um, yeah, he reads he reads a lot of the audio books too. So he's a he's a firm favorite in the household. Oh, so, yeah, everywhere. But I, I kind of wanted to write to to source this and talking a little bit about community theater because I, not being involved in community theater myself, think it is incredibly important. It can be for a lot of kids and a lot of people. They're only avenue their only exposure to the arts at all i mean mm. most people are never going to go to broadway and never going to see a broadway show they're never going to see anything out of london they're going to see 
their kids in a production at school and maybe a summer stock or something. And if this is all there is for somebody, then it matters and it's important, even if it's simple frivolity, I think. Yeah, and there's a there's a grand tradition. I mean, I obviously spent my formative years in England. I don't know, maybe I've still got a trace of an accent. It could be. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Perfectly. Only been here 11 years. Wait, say outhouse. Um, <laughs> outhouse. Ooh. Yes. Um, the, um, yeah, so in, in, in England, in, I spent a lot of time in uh, small villages and in a fairly large market town at one point. I moved around a lot. But there is a tradition that you have a local amateur dramatics group, the Amdram group. Mm-hmm. And once a year, they put on the pantomime around Christmas, which is the big money spinner. And it's very lowbrow. The humor is borderline coarse. My, 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 one of my writing partners always says that the, the word jokes are for the adults mm-hmm. and the slapstick is for the kids, you know, and there are custard pies and there's falling down and there's silly puns and there's old, old jokes and behind you scenes and things like that. It's, it's all very straightforward, but it's that generates, oh, it, it can be tremendous fun. My wife is absolutely phobic about them. So, um, yeah, we, we didn't, didn't go to many as a family, which is quite funny, but um, that generates the money for the rest of the year. And then depending on the makeup of your Amdram group, as you say, you know, some do, they put on Shakespeare or they put on, one of the groups I was in did Dial M for Murder. And it's kind of that weird thing about, on the one end, you've got the guy who dresses up as the pantomime dame and throws custard pies at Aladdin or whoever. And then six months later, you know, he's putting on his hat and he's the chief inspector come to see who's murdered. You know, it's, it's this weird I, dynamic throughout the, throughout the group and throughout the year as things change. But like you say, it, it's a big opportunity for people you know to see local television. They did this for the Neuro Wolf series where Maury Chaikin... They had some stock characters that were there, and then everybody else switched roles every episode. So it ah. was a new face, but doing something else. So Nero stayed the same. Archie Cunningham stayed the same. You know, and there at a Saul Panzer stays, the inspector stayed the same. But everyone else, they just shuffled parts and played different pieces every time. So you never know. And I always thought, this is exactly like Summerstock. It's actually, yeah. that's how I got into theater is, you know, my father is a professional and is, has been a diplomat his entire life. He has also joined Amdram groups in every country we've ever been in. And if there wasn't one to join, he made one. Um, and you play everything. And, you know, I got into it from the time I was, I don't know, six or seven years old, helping build costumes or paint things because it was, it was the social grouping and you met a large area of people that you would not meet if you were just sticking with work friends for lack of a better word you get a real cross-section definitely you know the people who the people who turn up to do it and and what they do in life bears no relation to the things they are prepared to do to get on the stage you find out the stuffy solicitor in town is actually really funny (laughs) so if you were going to start this like there's the big christmas production so naturally we're going to do christmas production but after that, you say, all right, let's have an Easter play. Okay, we're going to be a little bit reverent, a little bit non-reverent. We're, tell us about the process. If somebody said, by God, Dim, I need an Easter play. Hurry up, would you? We need a script. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, I have, a, I have a bunch of questions that I, that I like to ask because my, my background tends to be 
we're a small group. We have no money. We have, you know, six people who can reliably take parts and then another two people that we can force at gunpoint onto the stage. So, you know, that those are the questions I asked is, is Give us how many people? No, that's exactly what I want. What questions would you ask? Oh, yeah. So, so how many people do you have at your disposal? And, you know, what's their gender preference? Um, do you have a subject in mind? And what kind of time are you trying to fill? Um, because, you know, some people will will say, okay, we're going to, we've already got five sketches of five minutes each. So we're going to try and stretch that into the first half. We'll just do sketches and then we'll do a, a one act play in the second half. Cause you know, a whole evening of sketches might be a bit hard work and then, you know, but just a one half hour play, that's not enough to drag people out of the house for. So yeah. How long is it? Have you got a subject in mind and how many people are, are I trying to employ? Yeah. Um, and after that, it's kind of like, Oh, you know, you've, You've just opened the bag and let the cat out. So <laughs> you, know, you get to edit what I give you and uh, and we'll take it from there. But what, what is the strangest bunch of things? Did they ever say, okay, and my son wants to wear his lobster costume and <laughs> showing off the neighbor's cactus collection, go. <laughs> I had one, uh, one group that said, yeah, we, we want you to write a play about the end of the world, but we're an all girls school, so there can't be any parts for men. <laughs> okay. And that was terrific. That ended up with, you know, well, that's quite a conversation to have, isn't it? Here we are. It's the end of the world and there's just women left. So we're going to get a lot done, but it's a fairly short term prognosis, isn't it? That's, that's, that's the problem. And, you know, do we still require makeup or is it just something we want for ourselves? That was, yeah, that was, there were some awkward questions asked at that point. But, um, what else? I had a woman. Women's I, Institute. I, I'm curious if you can uh, spill the tip. How did you handle end of the world with, at a girls' school? Um, it was, it was a, it was a meeting. I, God, how long has it been since I read this thing? Um, I had again. I had like the the, the principal actors. There were about five or six that were going to carry it, and the rest were going to be crowd parts. So because they wanted like a classroom's worth of kids which was about 20 to 25. So I divided them into groups and there were, there were hunters and gatherers and adminers and something else. And all along was the, the, the person in charge, the person who put themselves in charge was, was very aggressive and saying some of the right things like, you know, okay, we, we've got all the things that we need to survive. We're, we're going great, but they were death on the more feminine aspects of women. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they were they were very upset that the hunters would come back and say yes we have brought a brace of rabbits we've caught pheasants and we found a, a shop that had a lot of makeup in it and she'd be like okay, get rid of that but they'd be quietly passing it around back <laughs> just your shade lovely but um yeah that was but boy that was a long time ago so yeah i've yeah. I'm- the production designer for a theater for eight years and every mm-hmm. Christmas we did a show with a Christmas theme to it. Uh, but because writing scripts is hard and um, this, we thought this would be easier and had a theme. We did each of them was a Christmas version of a Shakespeare play. So nice. Yeah, so we did, you know, uh, Julius Caesar being stabbed to death by peppermint sticks held by elves. <laughs> Uh, so I liked that one a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, coming up with a theme around 
what you've got presented to you. Yeah, yeah. And the other, the other way I try and go about it, I quite often say, okay, so I'm going to write it as if there is a minimal set because if I'm not requiring you to have, you know, the full oak panelled study, then then that's okay. You can do it with black walls and, a, and just a writing desk and that's fine. But if you've got the money and the time and more importantly, for most of the groups that I have in mind, they only have access to the stage, you know, for two hours on a Friday night and then maybe the week of the performance. So you de- demanding that they build, you know, put in a trap door and, 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 and the full-size tank that three people can climb in and out of. That's scary yeah, that's, you do your play. Yeah. So I wrote a ridiculous uh, play, which I love very much, called Waiting for Twist Stiffly, which is about um, like a 1950s Flash Gordon-style TV adventure serial, only the hero, Twist Stiffly, doesn't turn up. So the other cast members are left there on the set. written waiting for Godot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, see, trying desperately. I, I got the first few words right, and then it just went off the rails again. Um, but I wrote it to, to be, like, as minimalist as possible. And then this group sent me the photos of, of the production they'd done, and they had the full, shiny computers that lit up and whirred and silver ray guns, and they were all wearing silver jumpsuits. It was fantastic. And, yeah, I'd never dare write that for people because, you know, people would start reading the script and go, yeah, no, what? No, we don't have a budget for that. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's nice when that happens. So going from that of, of writing a story that's bounded in space and time with constraints of budget and people – Take that from, how do you approach that differently to, I've got to tell a story. I have to write a book. Like, for instance, you've published some short stories and you've published a couple novels. Yeah, that, that comes from um, a very bad beginning. I, I became a wife support system quite early on in our marriage. Um, my wife was a RAF officer. And when we had our first kid, uh, she obviously couldn't give up her job because I didn't have a very good one. Um, so I volunteered to stay home and look after the kids. And I was like, and I shall be a writer, because what else do you do with all this time on your hands? It's just a baby. <laughs> who needs? I'm sorry, who needs? So I did a correspondence course on writing, and it started ridiculously. Part one, the novel. Like, why is this the place to start? So I had a go at writing a novel and then the next stage was short stories and then it was magazine articles wow. and never, actually, it never. Fascinating. I mean, it's like Lex looking through a backward mirror. <laughs> it's, it was insane looking at it now. Yeah. It was completely bonkers. Gave me the, entirely the wrong idea. So I've, I've tried a lot of different styles of writing and playwriting. I got into, um, because I joined the amateur dramatics group at RAF St. Athen, I guess it was, and they said we need a cheap play for the RAF Theatrical Association one-act play competition, plus there's a, a category for plays we've written ourselves, and nobody ever goes in for that, so we could win that one just by turning up with one. <laughs> <laughs> Always in it for the trophies. So, um, oh, yeah, our- so... Our hockey team generally comes in like third. We're great. Don't ask us how many teams there are in our division. <laughs> Bronze medals all over the place. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, but you're the only ones who bring cheerleaders. <laughs> Bold move. Bold move. Well, yeah, so the, uh, the theater group is, you know, there's cheerleaders. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, see, now my brain is trying to write a cheer for a theater. Hold the jeep. <laughs> 
B-O-C-I-F-E-R-O-U-S. Bociferous. You have to be careful with her. She was a drum major. She's used to leading large groups astray. Oh, okay. I've been in a lot of bands. Can you do it, Cheer and Iambic Pentameter? Does it work? I don't, yeah. Resist them, resist them, make them really strong. A rose, a rose, a rose by any other name would smell, would smell as sweet. Uh, You can kind of do anything you can get away with, but. There you go, Ryan. So, yeah, so having tried all of these things, I find that when ideas turn up, um, they don't always fit the format that I'm currently championing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So uh, I have, this is why my screenplays didn't go anywhere, because they were ideas that didn't fit into plays. They didn't fit well into novels and they didn't fit well into short stories. So they, they became screenplays. Well, I want to dig into the mechanics here. What was your process? Did you go and download like a Microsoft word? This is the screenplay format and things or, or did you just start writing and figure I'll put it into formatting later? I, well, like any writer, I have dozens of uh, notebooks to, to keep, my genius in and um now that i am back at work i I work at a library in the home library service so uh i have lots of access to to writing notes on things um and any story ideas that turn up i write down the notes and try and expand it and just see you know am i covering multiple locations because if it's multiple locations it's not usually a play i'm very very bad at envisioning plays that take place in several different locations it's because i when i directed the play that i wrote um i got phobic about i didn't have a stage crew that was that was the main reason so you know it was like it's all taking place in this room so i don't have to carry anything heavy we just set it up and we're done no, no, um, I, that is life choice. I, I went to go see john leguizamo's uh, latin history for morons and mm. There's nothing to it. There's a desk, a chalkboard, and John Leguizamo for an hour and a half. And that can be very yeah. powerful. It and it was be- very powerful. It was, you know, we laughed, we cried, we yeah. felt bad about ourselves. It was perfect. It was- and, and, and round our way, we have Bard on the Beach, which every year when there isn't a global pandemic, we, we try and get there. And they do a very traditional kind of presentation in that they have a very simple set that doesn't change a great deal. Um, They have access to a lot of technology, but they don't tend to have a lot of revolving stages. They don't have people popping out of trap. Well, they have popping out of trap doors, but, you know, there are sort of four or five entrances and exits, and there's a couple of different levels, and the set dressing tends to be someone carries on a tree or they carry on a coat rack or something like that. It's, It's very simple, and every year I see it, and I think, well, look, there you go. I could have multiple locations. I just have to trust that the audience will come along with me and and then I try and write it and I'm like we are in a black room everybody is wearing black they're all wearing bowler hats facing in different directions everyone speaks alternate line uh, no it's no it's not good no the question is is so, that having this realization can you go back and look at one of your screenplays and going you could totally do this on the stage <laughs> I have yeah sorry go on no please answer I, I apologize go <laughs> so, I, I have a story um which I love dearly, which is called Tribute. And it was this fabulous idea I had about a guy who was 
uh, a failed 70s rock star. So he was big in the 70s, was big with his band, a bit like Queen at the time, but he didn't make it into the, the, the 90s maybe. So his music is still played, but he himself has faded. The band have broken up and, uh, and he's down on his uppers. And he goes to the pub and they're having a tribute night and he sees a 19-year-old kid being him from the 70s. And he's like, ding, I can make money pretending to be me because I'm good at being me because I'm me. Excellent. <laughs> uh, and he works his way through a bunch of like local competitions until he gets national attention and goes on one of the stars in their eyes type of TV shows as himself, <laughs> but playing somebody playing himself. And they say, okay, you have won. And what you don't know is that we've got together the other members of the band and we're going to have you play with the original band. He's like, oh, my God, but I slept with the guitarist's wife and he's going to recognize me. <gasps> and uh, they set up this great thing. And uh, in the end, he has to confess everything to his agent because that's the thing. You know, the, the TV company phone his agent and say, we want the original guy to come here and do a duet with this impersonator. So he's yeah. rings him up and says, you've got to be on TV with this impersonated guy. And he's like, but they're both me. How? Oh, no. So in the end, he has to fake his own death and uh, go on the road as the impersonator and the memorial tour for himself. Um, I was going to say, yeah. the impersonator faking his death or the actual guy faking his death. But I suppose death, then so. you have a problem with what about all the royalties? Because sort of like Adam Lambert doesn't get like all of the original Queen stuff. He only gets new recordings. Right. He doesn't get royalties from old Yeah. I'm going to get yeah, well, that's, talk, that's obviously an end of the play thing as, as his quote heirs unquote are like, Oh no, he died. Oh, no, this he is died. our money. <laughs> yeah. So I, and, I wrote the screenplay and it was lovely. And I sent it off to a wonderful lady back in Bournemouth who I knew um, who does script evaluation. She's a producer and she does a bunch of stuff. And she, she wrote back with a, a wonderful critique of it. Um, but I am terrible at rewriting and and I started to rewrite this thing and because it turned into something different I just lost all interest in it it was it was not as much fun um and so I thought I know I'll make, I'll make it into a stage musical so I rewrote it as a stage musical and that didn't work so it's did you now, do your own songs or did you get someone else to do your songs well that's that's the problem I I, I can't write music um it turns out I can't write songs and uh, the guy who I used to know who would do music is now a cellular physiologist, and he's not that interested in writing songs for me. Come on, Brian May is still a nuclear physicist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see it. You know, you, you started out with a very simple, you know, crappy bar set, and then you add slightly nicer things as he goes to <laughs> from show to show. Yeah. So by the end, everything's covered in glitter. <laughs> we make a fun- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it, I think it it could still work as a stage musical, um, but the the problem I have when I'm I have two writing partners back in the UK, and we've we've talked through the project because I, I wrote I wrote the everything but the music uh, and the the lyrics to the songs, and my writing partner Steve said, yeah, it's it's great, but if you do it as original musical, it really shrinks the groups that are willing to take it on. Mm-hmm. And if you do it as a jukebox musical, more people would do it, but then the performance licensing becomes a huge nightmare of tracking down performance permissions from all the different locations. So it's 
you know, it's kind of a, a coin toss at that point, which is which is the lesser of two evils. You have to find a band that's willing to write off their rights to everything from everybody. <laughs> which or I don't know, Kieran. What's Kieran from Inexcess? What was his name? The man is right now doing amazing work with even corporations saying he does bonding. He will have you all write a song out there. There are some <laughs> that are not necessarily out there together that might be very interested in such a project and they have a name and they're certain. <laughs> all you need is the name recognition there. Yeah. yeah. Just the yeah. We'll, we'll talk on Twitter. I think there's something here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to see because just the thought of the irony of it being a successful stage musical and then being turned into a movie after all my machinations to try and get anything would be, it would be lovely. But uh, yeah, that, that's the one I tried in multiple formats and uh, it didn't quite hit the spot in any of them. So the, the ebook that, that it ended up being isn't, isn't right either. It's, uh, but it's. Uh, no, no, I yeah. think. I think there's something there. I don't know. Now I'm kind of excited. I can see this vision so perfectly, you know. We had to mute ourselves because we were laughing so hard. <laughs> I get that a lot. You can get to do it because he's already been in love, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, there was a, a brilliant film called Strange. Was it was it called Strange? Or was it still crazy after all these years? Still crazy, I think. Yeah. Where they, they, they had a band called Strange Fruit. And it just, it wrote off all the best acting musicians. Jimmy Nail was in that and Bill Nye was in it as well. And uh, a couple of others and uh, they would have been perfect for this, but uh, now, well, they missed their chance. (laughs) So what? Uh, what, go ahead, John. Yeah. I was just thinking what you need to do is get a bunch of playwrights together and have a band much like, uh, Oh, the the writer's band around or possibly just hire, uh, Flash Girls, which was Emma, Emma Bolin, the fabulous Lorraine, who at the time was Neil Gaiman's uh, secretary. So All right. <laughs> Flash Girl. They had some great songs. But moving on from there. Yeah. I was going to say, so you've also, I, I had a question for you. You talked about building hat, bad helmets. Are you a member of the 501st? <laughs> oh, God, no. They wouldn't let me in. No, uh, um, uh, rephrase that because they're, they're wonderful people. Um I would love to be a member of the 501st, but they have standards um, and they are very, very high. Um, and so a lot of the guys from the 501st, there are some builders, but the majority buy their kit in from uh, very professional. The builders. <laughs> yeah, very professional armor builders. Um, and they do their own modifications. So I, I know a couple of the, the local 501st guys and they're very nice. What I did, because I have no budget, and saying to my wife, who's still the, she's still the major wage earner, she has a, she has a proper job, and I work for the library, which is good for the soul, but not great for the bank. Um, so saying to my wife, I need $300 for a shiny, a stormtrooper helmet, doesn't go down well. <laughs> um, so so I, I looked online, and there's this whole community of builders called the Replica Props Forum. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys on there, built a stormtrooper helmet for under 10 English pounds. He was, he was based outside London. Uh, and it's basically paper mache and a lot of household paint and some, yeah, some plastic bottles for the eye lenses. So I, I did a, a rough version of that. It didn't come out as well as his, but it came out pretty well. <laughs> and I now have somewhere between 10 and 14 helmets built in various styles 
um, none of which are good enough to get me into the 501st and plus I only have the helmet and they definitely don't let you turn up. <laughs> they do want that full body suit going. <laughs> really, really I quite finicky. We've, watched, we've all been watching The Mandalorian and so if you say, no, no, I got it off another Mandalorian, <laughs> I just have I have these two pieces made of Vespa. I want to be a stormtrooper, so I killed a Mandalorian. Wait. <laughs> That's that you've got to play right there. Right? <laughs> All you need is a Frank Oz wannabe to, to keep the green ears twitching. <laughs> so my, my theatrical publisher, his one of his mottos is don't mess with the mouse. He says, yeah. so we never take on, yeah. never take on anything that touches Disney in any way. If there's any doubt, there is no doubt. We do not mess with the mouse. Have you seen George Lucas in Love, which was created before Disney bought Star Wars? No. (laughs) Okay. Your fun after this is you're going to have to go out and watch the short film of, it's basically a play on Tom Stoppard's Shakespeare in Love. Yeah. But it's George Lucas in Love. He's going to film school with Aaron Spelling, who uses an inhaler and sounds a lot like Darth. And, and I'm just going to say it's going to delight you and it's going to inspire you and you're going to go back and work on that other one because I, I see that I can watch this movie in my head, which means it has to be real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, so you, you have a couple books out there that are short on how to build things. Is that, that what I was noticing? Or Yeah, it's, it's more a how not to. Um, so I, I document all, all my builds. I take photos as I go. Um, hoping that the photos will make them look better than they are. And after a while... There are YouTube uh, channels dedicated to people not succeeding in building things. So they're, they're <laughs> there. This is yeah. Glowforge Girl. She's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I, I, I put them together in a document. I was, I was writing everything up for the RPF anyway to, to just post them. You get some wonderful encouragement from people saying, "No, really, you're you're doing fine. It's it's okay. That that will heal. Just just." <laughs> keep it and um, and so I just, <laughs> just pasted it all into a into an HTML document and, and and then have gone back and edited them again a couple of times. Um, so yeah, the the biggest thing was last year we built a full size Dalek for my eldest daughter, who is a huge Doctor Who fan, and uh, we managed to get that to a convention. Uh, and we managed 30 yards before the first wheel fell off, which was really embarrassing because I hadn't got a spare. I think that's so. about 15 yards further than Doctor Who got the first Dalek to move. She's <laughs> uh, worried right about that. No. <laughs> yeah. And when the hero is such that, you know, you can defeat them by running upstairs, you know, I just, as a kid. Yeah. In this case, definitely. So, so yeah, I, I did this, several of my nonfiction. I wrote a nonfiction ebook on our first year in Canada when we when we emigrated. Um, I wrote all that up from blog posts that I put on just to to help people see what the process looked like. Because all the people we had been following sold their houses in the UK at the height of the housing market and came out to Canada when it was two dollars to the pound, and they they bought large swathes of the North Shore in BC with swimming pools and whatnot and uh, we came That's out with, yeah, yeah we came out with a, a pitiful amount of savings and uh and watched the exchange rate fall dramatically as we landed <laughs> and uh yeah so we had a more modest emigration than most of our compatriots but uh, yeah so i wrote that up and added pictures i noticed a lot of the ebooks on sale were just text a lot of people you know obviously a lot of people writing fiction so mostly just text 
Um, so I stuck in as many photos as I could for, for that and the helmet building books in the hopes that I would entice people. Well, uh, entirely yeah. it is. And that's, well, you, you've hit upon why we run this podcast is because I believe that anybody out there is a writer of something, you know? Mm. And yeah. maybe they just need to write the plays for their kids to act out on family theater night. Maybe it's something. Yeah, that- I, mean, I, I, always, I always tell people that writing plays, you know, if you have tried writing fiction, and this is the advantage of trying all the different formats, is that, you know, you try writing fiction. And I used to, most of my novels are the bits that other novelists would throw away. Because, you know, if the guy wants to go and get a drink, he has to cross the room decisively. He flings open the doors of the cupboard. He snatches the bottle, spins the cap off. And I'm like, how long is this taking? I've died of thirst waiting for him to pour this drink. But in the, in the play, you just say, he goes to the cupboard and gets a drink. Like, yes, that was so easy. You know, and then the actor trying to configure out if he strides or, or if he flaps or whatever. You know, that's, that's not my problem. You know, if it's important, it goes in, but. Wow. Yeah. So I found writing plays for the first time after struggling with the, I wrote three very bad novels, which haven't appeared anywhere. Um, and a lot of short stories and some magazines. But now we know they exist. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got those novels somewhere in a drawer. Um, yeah. And then writing plays was just so freeing. It was, you know, I could, I could just concentrate on the dialogue. Um, dialogue but then, yeah. Novels along. <laughs> It is it is a true thing. Conversation is how to advance plot more than anything mm. else. It's how do we impart information? Because I'm not going to say, as you know, Dee, we started this some time ago for that whole person sitting there who doesn't need to know this. But I'm going to tell you, looking at me as if she's like, I'm going to squint eyed kill you right now. <laughs> this is why musical episodes are so wonderful in television shows, because you get six months of plot out in one episode because everyone... <laughs> tell you what oh, it is once more with feeling <laughs> oh yes well we will put links to your stories and the other interesting things we've mentioned on our website which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com you can find us on facebook or twitter we answer email Dim, if people have questions or want to write to you uh can we have you write back to them absolutely yeah sure yeah fantastic You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre Schween. <laughs> and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow. And our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Langberg. You can hear more from Michael Langberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC sweet swag and three-dimensional printed objects. And hey... Thanks for listening.